If you have your Bible, open up to Malachi chapter 3. It's the last book of the Old Testament, so if you need to, open up to Matthew and then take a couple pages to your left. Today is Prove the Tithe Sunday at Bellevue. Now, if we're being honest, some of us, when we start talking about money in church, some of us can get a little uncomfortable. And I can see in some of your eyes that you actually thought next week was the tithing day, and you weren't planning on showing up next week. (laughs) But here we are today. So why do we talk about giving in church? It makes people uncomfortable at times. Why do we do it? You know, at Bellevue, one of our five core values is biblical truth. And we believe we should treasure God's perfect word as our standard for life and for our faith. And while we don't preach about money and we don't talk about giving every single week, it is a significant part of what the Bible speaks to. And if we're going to be faithful to obey what the Bible says, we have to know what it says about this issue. So today we're going to be talking about what the Bible says about giving. Now before we really jump in, I want to tell you what today is not. Today is not a day that I'm going to beg you to give your money because the reality is is that the Lord doesn't need anything. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our resource. The Lord says of himself in Psalm 50, verses 11 and 12, I know every bird of the mountains. The creatures of the field, they're all mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world and everything in it is mine. See, the Lord is perfectly self-sufficient. He is complete. He does not need anything from anybody. But if he were to somehow have a need, if he somehow were to become hungry, he wouldn't tell us because he owns everything. He has no need for us to give him anything. So today, I'm not going to be begging you for your money. That's not what today is, so don't worry about that. Today is also not a day where I'm going to guilt you into doing anything. You see, giving to the Lord and giving to the church is not a tax on Christians. It is not a punishment that is put on any of us. At the end of the day, the Bible says that the Lord is a whole lot more interested in our hearts than how much we give. The Bible says of the Lord that humans do not see what the Lord sees. For humans, they see what's visible, what's on the outside. But the Lord sees the heart. So today is not a day where we're going to try to pry money out of your wallet against your will. Don't worry about that. The Lord is not interested in that type of giving at all. And here's a truth I want you to walk away with today. If you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear this and remember this. Giving to the work of the Lord through your local church is an opportunity that the Lord has given each one of us to be involved in his work. Giving is not a tax. It's not a punishment. It is an opportunity that the Lord has given us to get in on what he is doing. And so while we're going to talk about giving today, we're actually going to talk about something much deeper. We're going to talk about our hearts. What's the connection there? Why would we talk about the heart when we talk about money? Because Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount made a very clear connection between the two. Jesus himself said, where your treasure is, where your money is, there your heart will be also. Jesus said that if you were to want to know what's in your heart, you need to look at your bank account, look at your wallet. If we were to take one of your bank account statements and put it up on the screen right now and we were to scroll through it, we would have a pretty good idea pretty quickly on what it is that you value. So let me give you an example. If I were to put my bank account statement on the screen right now, you would know pretty quickly that my family and I put great value on (laughs) Chick-fil-A. 
we frequent Chick-fil-A as a family. I'm grateful for it. But what the Bible teaches us is that the way that we spend our money, the way we steward our money, shows us what is in our hearts. So with all that in mind, I want us to jump in and see what the Bible says about giving. Now we call this Prove the Tithe Sunday. What is a tithe? A tithe is simply giving 10% of your income back to the Lord through your local church. Giving 10% of your income back to the Lord, it came from him in the first place, giving it back to the Lord through your local church. And we get the language for prove the tithe out of the book of Malachi. The Lord is speaking, and listen to what he says, Malachi 3, verse 10. Bring all of the tithes into the storehouse, so that there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you will not have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. This is the only place in all of Scripture where the Lord says, hey, if you don't believe me, try it out and see what happens. Test me in this. And that's what the Lord has called us to do. Now, have you ever walked into the room in the middle of a conversation? You walk in and you try to listen to what people are saying and you're trying to understand what they are talking about. Now, a lot of times you have to make some assumptions. You have to try to put some pieces together. And you may walk out of the room with a completely wrong understanding of what was being talked about. We just read a verse in Malachi chapter 3, and we really did walk in on the middle of a conversation. If we're going to understand what God was saying to those people, we need to understand what they were talking about and where they've come from. And that's going to be important for us to be able to understand if we know how we can take Malachi chapter 3 and apply it to our lives today. In order to get that context, we need to look back at the history of this relationship. Stan and Iva May are good friends of our church, and they have developed material that helps us to understand the story of the Bible from a big picture view. And we're going to walk through their framework. They have presented 14 eras that they call in Scripture. We're not going to walk through all of them. But they have presented 14 eras that really help us to examine God's relationship with his people throughout history. As we talk about Malachi chapter 3, we need to understand where these people have come from, where they've been, and where they are going. We're not going to walk through all 14, but I want us to start at the beginning and walk through to the point that this conversation is happening. I want you to pay attention and stay with me here because I promise you this is going to connect and help you to understand what God means when he says what he said in Malachi chapter 3. We start out in the creation era. The Bible says in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. See, God created a perfect environment for the first two people, Adam and Eve, to have a perfect relationship with him. They had everything that they needed. But the Bible says that their heart began to believe a lie. And they believed that there was something better for them. So they chose to walk away from the Lord and to go their own way, to disobey the Lord, bringing sin into the world, breaking their relationship with God. Sin would become rampant across the entire earth. And many and most people would not walk with the Lord. From there, we move into the patriarch era. This is where we see the stories of the fathers of our faith. The first patriarch we look at is Abraham. Now, Abraham would trust God even when it would be really hard. If it was hard to understand, hard to believe, he continued to believe God. And the Bible says that God made a promise to Abraham. 
He says, I will indeed bless you, and I'm going to make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. This promise would continue from Abraham to his son, Isaac, and then to his son, Jacob, who God would later rename Israel. Now, the patriarchs, they didn't get everything right. They made a whole lot of mistakes along the way. But they continued to seek after the Lord. God would eventually take Jacob, Israel, and his children to the land of Egypt to provide for them during a great, severe famine. And this is where we enter what they call the Exodus era. Now, God's people would live in Egypt for hundreds of years, and they would eventually come into severe slavery. But God did not forget them. Listen to what the Lord said to Moses. He said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings, and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land. God would raise up Moses, who would liberate God's people from slavery, bring them out of Egypt and into the promised land. God had now established a people to call his own. He loved them. He gave them his law. He told them how they were to live, how they were to interact with one another, and how they were to worship the Lord. But even though the Lord had brought them out of slavery, their hearts would continually turn away from the Lord. We now enter the conquest era. The Lord had delivered his chosen people, and he would now take them to their promised land. They're now being led by Joshua, And listen to what the Lord says to Joshua. Above all, be strong and very courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right. Do not turn to the left so that you will have success wherever you go. The Lord would lead his people across the Jordan River and give them victory in many battles such as the battle of Jericho. God loved his people. He had established them and he was now giving them their land. And as the Israelites found themselves living in the promised land that was originally promised to Abraham, the Lord would then establish judges over them who would help them to follow the word of God, to know if they were doing right. He had given them the roadmap for his success and for prosperity, but they continually turned away from the Lord. The continual refrain of the judges' era was this, in that day there was no king in Israel, Everyone did, see, did whatever seemed right to him. We now enter the kingdom era. They talked about there was no king in Israel. We enter the kingdom era where God's people looked around and said, yeah, there is no king among us, but every other nation around us has a king. See, up to that point, the Lord was their king. The Lord was the one that led them, but they were no longer content to just follow the Lord. And they wanted an earthly king to be placed over them, to rule over them. God would raise up King Saul, the first king of Israel, but his heart would turn from the Lord, and he would not last long. God would then raise up David, who the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. The Bible says this of David, that when he came into the kingship, he knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and had exalted his kingdom. Why? For the sake of his people, Israel. The Lord loved his people Israel, and he gave them David because he loved them. In the years that would follow, Israel would experience incredible prosperity. These would be the glory years for Israel. 
King David would lead them to victory in the, through the Lord in many battles, and David would establish an incredibly strong kingdom. The throne would then transfer to David's son Solomon, and Israel would thrive beyond any other nation of the earth. He would build, Solomon would build a magnificent temple for the worship of the Lord, and everything seemed to be going so great. But the wealth and the prosperity that the nation was now experiencing led to a people who were no longer content to follow the Lord. They didn't think that they needed to. Because of their sin, the Lord would then divide the kingdom of Israel. The Bible says that the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord. Because of their disobedience, God would allow a rift to come into the kingdom of Israel. What was once a great and mighty nation was now split in two. The northern nation of Israel would experience a continuous line of evil, wicked rulers. The southern nation of Judah would have a few good rulers here and there, but for the most part, they too were wicked. And after much warning, much opportunity to repent, the Lord would turn his people over to their ways and allow them to enter into captivity. The Bible gives an account of that. He says, at that time, the servants of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, an evil king from an evil nation, they marched up to Jerusalem and the city came under siege. He also carried off there all the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the king's palace. And he cut them into pieces, all the gold articles that King Solomon of Israel had made for the Lord's sanctuary, just as the Lord had predicted. He deported all of Jerusalem except for the poorest people of the land. No one remained. Everything seemed to be lost for the people of God. What was once a great nation, they were broken, and God's people were once again prisoners in a foreign land because of the disobedience and the hardness of their heart. David and Solomon could have never imagined such incredible loss for the people of God. But while God allowed this slavery and this captivity happen, he promised that he would not leave, leave them there. He made a promise that they would return. The Bible says through the prophet Jeremiah, I will keep my eyes on them for their good, and I will return them to this land. I will build them up, and I will not demolish them. I will plant them. I will not uproot them. I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people. I will be their God, because they return to me with all of their heart. After 70 years, God would fulfill the promise he had made, and his people would return to the land. But these people were not the same people who had left. See, they had, these people who returned probably heard stories of what God had done through Israel and through his people and God's faithfulness to them. But these people, many of them, had only ever known captivity in Babylon. They were slaves there, but it was home. So now they find themselves returning back to the land of Israel. But it was broken, it was desolate, and it was empty. Many of these people thought they were coming back to relive the glory days of Israel. But when they got back, they found themselves broken and apathetic towards the things of the Lord. God's people have been back home for about 100 years when we come to the book of Malachi. They've had an incredible journey with the Lord. There have been a lot of ups. There have been a lot of downs. They've been back for 100 years. But they were disappointed. They felt like they had been abandoned, and they did not know what they would even believe. 
And what we now have is a loving God who is once again reaching out to his people, calling them back to himself. The book of Malachi opens up in the first verse and says, This is the message that the Lord gave to Israel through the prophet Malachi. I have always loved you, says the Lord. But you retort, really? How have you loved us? They're looking around and everything is broken and torn apart. How have you loved us? And the Lord says, this is how I showed my love for you. He then walks through the history we just looked at. It explains his continual love for his people. He then turns and says, hey, but you, you're not following me the way you ought to. See, you're giving sacrifices, but the sacrifices that the Lord had required were perfect and spotless, the best of what the nation had. But they were offering sacrifices that were blind and crippled and diseased. The Bible also says that they were intermarrying with people of other religions and from other nations, and they were divorcing one another, both things that the Lord very clearly forbid in his law. And they were looking at the wicked people of the world who were prospering, and they were saying that God was favoring the wicked and was taking, forsaking his own justice. This right here is where we walk back into the conversation that we walked into earlier. The Lord is giving a defense of himself and calling the people of Israel back to himself. He says, I am the Lord and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob have not already been destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and you have failed to obey them. Now return to me. I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? See, the Lord had not been unfaithful to his people. His people had continuously been unfaithful to him. The Lord gives them an opportunity, an invitation, come back to me, I'll come back to you. But they didn't even realize that they had left. They said, how can we leave when we have never gone away? Now pay attention very closely here. The Lord answers that question by asking them another question. Should people cheat God? Yet you've cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and the offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all of the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great, you won't be able to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops, they'll be abundant, for I will guard them from insect and from disease. Your grapes, they will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's army. God's people had left them. He brought that accusation against them. And what was the Lord's evidence that the Lord's people had left him? They had stopped giving their tithe. What did Jesus say? Where your treasure is, that is where your heart is also. God's people may not have physically left the Lord. They were in the land that he had given them. They were going to the temple and offering sacrifices. They were around the things of God, but their heart was nowhere near him. And that was made evident because they withheld their finances. Now here's an important question that every single one of us needs to be able to answer as followers of Jesus in 2024. 
Malachi is part of the Old Covenant. It's part of the Old Testament. Does it apply to us? Let me ask it another way. If we hold back our tithe from the Lord, does the Lord say of us that we are robbing and cheating him? If the Lord were to look at us and see that we are not giving our tithe, does he say that our hearts have left him? While we do not follow every law of the Old Testament, there are many in the Old Testament, many laws that we no longer follow. There are many that Jesus did affirm and still do apply to us today. In fact, I want you to listen very closely to what Jesus said was the connection, the bridge between the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and the New that he brought. He said, don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. See, he did not get rid of the Old Testament law, but Jesus brought it to completion. He perfected the law. The reality is, is that the Lord actually turned up the intensity on many of the Old Testament laws. Let me give you an example. Jesus would say, hey, you have heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you, if you even have hate or anger in your heart towards somebody, you are already guilty. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you even look at somebody with lust, you have already committed adultery in your heart. What's Jesus saying about the law in the Old Testament? That the Old Testament, it mainly focused on our actions when you look at the law. Do this, do not do this. But Jesus, who came to fulfill the law and to complete it, he actually turned up the heat and went straight for the heart. Because that's where everything starts. So what about tithing? Does the New Testament teach us that we are to tithe? The answer is simple, yes. But be sure to read the fine print. Let me explain that to you. Jesus, when he was speaking to the religious leaders of his day, he pointed out the hypocrisy of their actions. See, they were very careful to, to keep the letter of the law, but they missed the heart. Jesus would say in Matthew 23, 23, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and all you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. So what's Jesus saying? Should we tithe, Yes, but do not neglect the more important things. He's saying, yes, tithe. It has not gone away. Just because the old covenant is gone and the new one is here, tithing has not gone away. But it's also not the most important thing. Because if we were to give 10% of our money and our heart is far away from the Lord, that is not what the Lord is interested in. He is interested in the heart. Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthian church, he spoke very clearly about the need for us as believers to give from the heart. Not just giving 10% as if it's a tax that we have to do, but we should follow the Lord's leading and give generously. Paul wrote, each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. So should you give 10% of your income to the Lord through your local church? Absolutely. Jesus affirmed it. But don't do it reluctantly. 
Don't do it with a grudge in your heart. Don't do it out of compulsion because somebody told you you had to do it. Because God loves a cheerful giver. God loves it when we give with love and joy in our hearts. And when you look at the example of the early church in the book of Acts, they were known as a people of incredible, outrageous generosity. They weren't just hitting that 10% mark. They were bringing everything to the table to make sure the needs of the church and the needs of the community were being met. So let's come back for a minute and just real, get real down to earth here. I want you to listen to me. My name is Noah. I'm 34 years old. And like I told you, I grew up here at Bellevue. I can take you to at least two spots on the third floor where as a teenager I accidentally punched a hole in a wall and never got caught. So I've, if you've been here for 20, 30 years, you saw me running around these halls and maybe punching holes in a wall occasionally by accident. But I've been here my whole life. I don't know everything. I am growing and learning alongside you. I really am. But if I'm honest, I can say that there was a time in my life where not only did I not tithe, but I didn't see that I even had the need at the time to do it. See, when I was in college, I worked part-time here at Bellevue in our media ministry. And one of the jobs I had was to make the graphics for Pastor Steve when he was preaching for the verses and the points on the screen. One week I was making the graphics just like any other week. This week, Pastor Steve was preaching on tithing. And as I was making the, the graphics, the Lord spoke to my heart. And he said, do you, do you believe the graphics that you're making? And I was like, yes, Lord, of course. It's in the Bible, of course I believe this. He said, well, you don't believe it because you're not doing it. Here's the thing. I was a college student that worked part-time at a church. If I'm being honest, I hate to admit how many times my debit card would decline while buying a pack of Oreos at the gas station. <laughs> I didn't have a lot, but I was a college student getting by. I didn't know any better. And I did not have enough money to give. At least that's what I told myself. I was now that day faced with the decision, am I going to obey what I believe the Lord is telling me to do? Or am I going to continue to make excuses? So I stopped making the sermon graphics that day, and I went online to Bellevue's website and gave 10% of my paycheck, my last paycheck, to the Lord. Was it a lot of money? No. Did that matter? No. Because what mattered was I was being obedient. And I can honestly say that the longer I've given, the more joy that I have found in giving. Why did I start giving? Because the Lord revealed to me it's what he had told me to do. Why do I currently find joy in giving? Because when I look around at Bellevue and the ministry that we're involved in, I cannot help but be excited to be part of what the Lord is doing at and through our church. Did you know that every time you give to Bellevue, there are over 3,500 international missionaries all over the world, some in very hard places, they're sharing the gospel, and you are supporting that ministry when you give to the ministry of this church. And those missionaries are dependent on us to be able to support them, and we are sending them out on our behalf. We can't all go, but when we give and when we support them, we go with them. We send them out on our behalf. But while those 3,500 people excite me, what really excites me are the people that I grew up with here at Bellevue who I know and who I love and who I've spent time with and have relationships with, who have now gone out and been sent out on behalf of our church all over the world. 
My brother Ryan grew up here at Bellevue as well, and his wife Clarissa and their two sons are now planting a church in Vancouver, Washington, just outside Portland, Oregon. It is an incredibly dark part of our country when it comes to spiritual things. But they are there, and they are reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And every time I give to this church, I'm supporting Ryan and Clarissa and their work in Vancouver, Washington. Shelton Johnson and his family were members of our church, and he was a businessman here in Memphis, and he felt God's call on his life and the life of his family to serve and to go deeper in their walk with the Lord and their service to the Lord. And he felt the Lord lead him to sell everything they had here, move to Lima, Peru, and serve the Lord internationally. Christian Cassiano grew up here at Bellevue. He's now currently ministering alongside the Johnson family in Peru. Lauren Molesky is another that grew up here at Bellevue. Several years ago, she felt God calling her. She's now serving as a missionary in Nairobi, Kenya. She's taking the skills and the training she received at Bellevue, and she's making disciples in Africa. Grace Wade, in a similar way, left our church last month to be sent on our behalf to Africa. Baron Muga and his family were part of our church. We sent them out to build up the church in Kenya. Chris and Shayla Ballard left our church also last month to minister to the people in Nairobi, Kenya. Just a couple weeks ago, they shared a picture as they had packed up their car and they were headed up for two months of training before they were going to be sent on our behalf to the other side of the world. And while I'm excited to give because of those people, there's so many more. We have people who are ministering from Bellevue in North Carolina and New York and Colorado and New Mexico and Brazil and in Spain and in places we can't even talk about because the work they're doing is so sensitive. And not only that, but we believe there's about 10 more people that the Lord is calling up and going to send out this year from our church alone. So why do I enjoy giving? Why do I find joy in giving to this church? It's because of the ones that we have sent out that we are supporting. In addition, right here at Bellevue, I'm excited because of the ministry that's happening right here. It is a rare thing for us to have a service at Bellevue where we do not see multiple people getting baptized, following in that obedience to the Lord. I don't know if you realize that that's not normal, and that doesn't happen everywhere. The Lord has incredibly blessed us as a people. There are incredible stories of ministry happening all over this building, from our children's ministry that is reaching kids with biblical truth, to our next generation ministry challenging our students and calling them to a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Our women's ministry here at Bellevue is teaching and reaching and discipling women at our church, in our city, and literally around the world. We know of groups right now going through the active Bible study in Peru and in Mexico and in Canada and other places in the world. This semester, our women's ministry has a, an emphasis on prayer and praying for one another, and they're submitting prayer requests. And we had a lady in the church who submitted a request for her father who is not a believer. Many women in our church came together in prayer. Last week, she had the opportunity to lead her 80-year-old father to faith in the Lord at her kitchen table. That is why, amen, that is why I can cheerfully give to the ministry at Bellevue. Just last week, you heard the testimony of over two, almost 2,000 people right here in Memphis that received over $1.9 million in free dental care just that weekend in our building. So why do I give? 
Because every time I give, I know that I am supporting the Lord's work here at Bellevue. I'm supporting the Lord's work in our community and in Memphis. And literally to the ends of the earth. And in the midst of it all, the Lord is so faithful to me. Is it always easy to give? Not always. Is it always worth it? A hundred percent. Did I suddenly became, become rich when I started giving? Not yet. <laughs> but the Lord does promise that he will take care of us. The Bible says it may not always look the way we do, but he is faithful in his promise. In Malachi, the Lord challenged his people. He said, put me to the test, test me. But even then, the hearts of his people were shy to commit. And they didn't know what to believe. You see, the conversation did not end where we ended earlier as we finished reading in Malachi. Listen to how the conversation finishes. Malachi 3.13 says, The Lord says, You have said terrible things about me. But you say, What do you mean? What have we said against you? You have said, What is the use of serving God? What have we gained by obeying his commands or by trying to show the Lord of heaven's armies that we are sorry for our sins? From now on, you, we will call the arrogant blessed. For those who do evil get rich. And there's those who do dare God, those who do trust God, test God, they suffer no harm. See, God's people looked around and the wicked people in the world were thriving and and they didn't understand that. They were blatantly opposing God, but they were getting rich. They were testing God, and there was no harm. They were getting away with the test. And whether we want to admit it or not, sometimes we face that same struggle. See, the people in this world that are furthest from the Lord and not living for him at all, they seem to prosper financially a lot of times. But some of the people, we all know people in this room who love the Lord and desperately are seeking after him, but sometimes they struggle to get by week to week. What's up with that? Can the Lord be trusted? Will he come through on his end of the test? The Bible goes on to say that then those who feared the Lord, they spoke with one another, and the Lord listened to what they said. What's happening here in the midst of all the questions and, and all the doubt, the people who did love the Lord and were seeking to follow him and trust in his name, they came together and encouraged one another to do what they were called to do and to continue following the Lord. It's what we're doing here today. Drew read the passage at the beginning of the service about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, but encouraging each other towards the things of the Lord. That's what was happening here, and that's what we gather to do. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, and the Lord listened to what they said. In his presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. They will be my people, says the Lord of heaven's armies. On the day when I act in judgment, they will be my own special treasure. I will spare them as a father spares an obedient child. Then you will see the difference. Then you will see the difference between the righteous and between the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. I want you to hear me very clearly this morning. The Lord can be trusted. He has not forgotten you, and he will come through on his end of the promise. The Bible says that when we follow the Lord and our heart is in the right place, that the Lord takes note. He literally writes down our name in a book of remembrance. That doesn't mean that the Lord's about to mail you a check 
for your obedience. But he will open the windows of heaven, and he already has in so many ways. These words from the Lord that we're reading in Malachi come at the very end of the, the New Testament, or the Old Testament. And there would be a couple hundred years before the Lord would speak again in the New Testament. But we have the advantage that all we have to do is turn one or two pages to the right in our Bibles and we can enter the New Testament and we can see Jesus, speaking of God, opening up the heavens on our behalf. He literally sent Jesus Christ to this earth to pay for us. The Bible says in John three sixteen, probably the most famous verse in all of Scripture, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The Bible says there that God proved his love for us by sending Jesus. And God had loved his people since the beginning of creation. He showed it time and time again. We as a people, we tend to stray and walk away from the Lord, but he is faithful to call us back and give us opportunity to return. God loves us so much. How much so? So much that he gave our pastor, Brother Steve, often reminds us that we look most like the Lord when we are giving. So where's your heart this morning? Have you found yourself in a place where it's difficult for you to trust the Lord with your finances? Maybe you're like I was when I was in college and, and you knew the right thing to do. You knew what you were supposed to do and you thought you believed it, but that knowledge never moved down to your heart and never resulted in action. If that's you today, I want to challenge you. The Lord is challenging you. Put him to the test. He has been so faithful and so good to us. He has already opened the heavens for us in so many blessings, and he says he will continue to do so. Put him to the test and see how faithful he is. I tell you what, you will never miss anything that you give to the Lord.